0: Kalel. my future grandson, this is the story of the House of
1: El. Our ending has yet to be written, but this is how we began.
2: Welcome back to the world of Old Krypton. This is uh, your regular trio of co-hosts. You can call us the Tribunal, we're going to... Try you, and you're gonna have those little swirly disc things surrounding you like Tim Drake and a Lonely Place of Living. I'm Russ Berlingame, and with me today are John Wilson. Hello, hello. And Jeffrey Taylor. Ahoy. And we're we're talking about episode one oh four, which is the Word of Rao. You may see on the internet a lot of folks referring to it as the World of Rao. That is because on the official screening site, where all the reporters who write about this show watched it for the first time, word was misspelled. So, "World of Rao" is actually incorrect. It is "Word of Rao." I wonder.
1: It only makes sense that way.
2: Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah.
0: Once you watch the episode, it it makes much more sense. Although, I mean, "World of Rao" could have still kind of worked because he's kind of in charge. True.
1: Uh, but then you had to distinguish between the, between the '70s world world of Rao and the '2000s world of new Rao, <laughs> and it's just it's
2: a lot to keep track of. That's true. Word. <laughs> I see what you mean. So there. I,
0: I, I I want to start off with something that I noticed actually just before I sat down to watch the episode. Sure thing. And uh, I had not thought of this. I cannot believe that that none of us said anything about this. Seg L
2: is Siegel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that was something – I believe the 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 alteration in his spelling uh, brought that up at like a Comic-Con panel or a South by Southwest panel. Oh, okay. Because obviously in the comics, SEG is spelled with a Y before the G, which is actually how it right. was originally spelled in promotional materials for the show early on.
1: But that's also good because Siegel is an S-E-I-G yeah. G spelling. So, trans, tra- you know, transpose the I with a Y. I hadn't put that together. I feel like I might have thought about that, like, back in the 80s when I read, you know, World of Krypton and it was yeah. there. But, but um not when I read it in the 80s, but when I read it five years ago and it was an 80s comic. Um, but I had not thought about it with this. But that is cool. Jerry Siegel. Now we just need, um, I don't know, Alyssa to be from the house of Shoe Stare or something. Shoe Stare, yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a little hard he's a little harder because there's no inherent uh uh er house or anything or tur but right I'm sure they can come up with something uh you'd have to have two siblings, one named Shu and one named stir there you go they could be ranked so, so
0: it's not so obvious
2: yeah like Ramona
1: like ramona <laughs> uh. Before Once I heard it, once I thought of it, I can't <laughs> hear it. Every time no, I like say totally. mom and
2: Oda, I'm like, oh, it's Ramona. Yeah,
1: So Let... I've, I've infected your brains now.
2: Just like Brainiac. At least it's not Sharona. My, my, my. Sharona. My. my Sharona. You know what we should do? <laughs> my, my, my,
0: my Sharona. You can't have it.
2: What, what we should do really quick is, uh, I should give a brief rundown of the episode, and this is going to be a brief rundown, because this episode uh, is a very talky episode, and so when I, if all I do is break it down to bullet points of plot, it's actually fairly straightforward. Uh, reeling from the, uh, the embarrassment of last episode's Rankless Initiative, the voice of Rao demands essentially a sacrifice, and, uh... Azad is set to be executed ostensibly for treason. Meanwhile, the attempts to save Rome from the influence of the Brainiac sentry continue without much success in the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, while all that is going on, you have kind of the dual stories of Kim taking Ona to this essentially ceremony festival thing that the voice of rao is putting on in order to celebrate their faith and she essentially talks her way into becoming ranked and becoming one of the voice of rao's closest uh, you know the the handmaidens that you see going around with him uh while all that's happening we have seg who is essentially stuck in the outlands in this strange facility manned by Black Zero agents, some of whom seem like they're not maybe completely on board with Black Zero, but they've got their own thing going on. And by the time he manages to fight his way out and get out to the Outlands bleeding and barely alive, you essentially have the revelation that Ona has gifted to the voice of Rao a little... Uh, idol, a little statue of Rao, which acts as a sentry for Brainiac and takes over the voice of Rao, whose face we see for the first time and who is played by Blake Ritson, the actor who plays Brainiac. First of all, what did you guys think of kind of the the big reveal at the end of this episode, which plays right into Jeffrey what you had said you wish they did last week, and I was holding my tongue the whole time.
1: Uh- Oh, you were saying because you, wanted, you really want to bring it to make a move by this point. No, not even, not
2: even that. He was saying that he thought that he was very disappointed that Rome was actually the sentry because he was hoping that Ona was going to be the real threat.
1: Oh, that's right. That's what you did say.
2: Yeah. I, I thought that that would have been really cool
0: and uh, it, it, it's, it's interesting because I wasn't sure what that figure was because, uh, of course, the figure sort of comes to life and um, infects, attacks Rao, and I'm unclear at this point if Rao has been assassinated or if he's been, if he's got Brainiac in him somewhere.
2: Uh, my my impression of it, particularly after having, like I said, I spoke to the actor uh, today, is that he's essentially a sentry in the same way that Rome was, that he okay. is not... He is not dead per se, but I don't believe that the odds are good that the voice of Rao... will back either. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... The voice of Rao, who is about to be infected, or has just been infected by the end of episode four, he's about to go on a pretty epic journey um, for the rest of the season. I, yeah, he's very much um, locked and loaded to uh, start trailing bodies and chaos wherever he goes. So, so I think there's, there was a lot of fun playing that character as well, which... Uh,
1: I think will excite a lot of fans to see where that story goes. That's how I read it. Whatever happened to Rome uh, the previous episode is what happened to him this
2: episode. Right.
1: We got to kind of have a chase last time to get an idea of what the stakes were.
2: Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder whether the reason, and I mean, I know the practical reason, which is that this show is not quite dark enough to assimilate the five-year-old. But it, they they make that reference to the idea that Brainiac seeks out a more powerful host, uh, and so it almost makes me wonder whether the reason that Ona was not chosen is because if if you've got an adult host already, why go for a child who has no particular anything as long as she can be manipulated, right? But uh, certainly, one would and she think, can, and she can manipulate, right? Which, what happened, yeah. right? Uh, and I almost – it's its interesting. I don't – I, I, I kind of want to know whether she knew what she was doing. Like I, I, That
1: was my thought too because, like, the mom was really concerned. Like, the mom knew <clears throat> that the daughter was a danger. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't sure at the time does the daughter – is the daughter planning an attack? What's going on there? Right. But she seems so honestly excited to become a nun, essentially. Yeah. Um, that she's being welcomed into this faith and into the higher echelons of this faith. Mm. And it's, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that's romanticized about religion, especially religion in a more historical context. And it's, I, I like the way it's playing in the story. But then it's also kind of fainted because she has this, you know, action figure uh, present that turns out to be evil.
2: Or in action figure. That's true. To steal a Kevin Smith phrase, right? Uh, yeah, I, it's funny. I I believe that the festival that took place, and I can't recall the name of it, um, but like the solstice celebration that was going on in, the, in this episode, essentially, uh, I believe those idols were supposed to be common. When we were on set, the, there were several of them, and the way that they were okay. described to us is that they would be like the little glass Virgin Marys that a lot of Catholics have in their house. Like, this is a, this would be a common trinket in the house of deeply faithful people.
1: That reminds me of, uh, um, in the Battlestar Galactica television series, how they would have, like, little idols. The, in their lo- like in their lockers and stuff, the yeah. more religious ones would, or in the HBO series Rome, um, they had their own home shrines to their gods, would so have their own personal home idols, co- copies of their gods. Huh.
0: Well, that that so, was a, that was a common thing in from from that time period. So that that's right, in, right. Yeah,
1: there, were, um, it, 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 there, it there are that.
0: household gods and a shrine to the household god in pretty much every house. Mm-hmm. In fact, next year I'm planning to go to Pompeii, and I should be able to see some of those. Oh
2: yeah, nice.
1: I love it there.
0: I've I've got a month long trip planned across Europe for
1: next year. That is very cool. I am jealous, and I'm going to be in your suitcase, and
0: uh, the, you know it's going to be paid for with a grant. Even better. Who
1: is <laughs> that scene in um, in Batman? Whenever Knox goes up to Bruce Wayne and says, "Hey, can I have a grant?"
2: Huh. Yeah.
1: Um, I've always wanted to go up to some rich guy and say, hey, can I have a grant? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and him say yes. Because then I would have money.
0: Kryptonese writing. Mm-hmm. I, I know that we've seen some of it before, but I haven't seen it like as pronounced as it was on the robes, as well as it seems like tattooed on the faces. They were much... ...of those followers of, of Rao that, that John referred to as nuns.
2: I, I think a lot of it is that they are... It is much clearer... In the religious and in the kind of gilded yeah. areas, whereas it has a more kind of graffiti aspect to it in the Rankless District. And because so much of the of course, first right. you know, three episodes were all in the Rankless District, you're seeing kind of what appears to be Kryptonian rather than gibberish a lot more.
0: Right. I think that somebody – I did not take the time to pause it and translate it, but I'm sure that somebody out there will.
1: I have a uh, fellow fellow podcaster Rebecca Johnson of Supergirl Radio. She loves translating Kryptonese. Well, there you go. And one of the Rebecca, get on that. Let let us know.
2: One of the people who work with me at ComicBook.com. I actually, when I was on set, I took close-up photos of the robe of the voice of Rao. And so I. uh, I didn't even notice it on on him before. Oh yeah, it's always been there. It's just it's we haven't seen him close up that often. Right. But uh I took close up photos of the robe and she's been translating some of that for me. It, they're all pretty like it's it's pretty standard prayers. What I will say is that the attention to That's detail is mostly in the fact that they're there and the that, that you know blah, blah 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 more than more than any kind of deep sense of mythology to the very much like if you mm-hmm. see when the uh when the kind of lights go on in the Fortress of Solitude and there's that kind of moving light in some of the, like, portal-looking things on the walls, uh, there's things that are moving around in there. And, and if you stop and actually look and try to figure out what they say, it's the names of L ancestors.
0: Gotcha. Because, you know, what what Smallville did, they, they did use the regular alphabet just like we we see it here. This is from, uh, I want to say the late 90s, mm-hmm. and it was used through the early 2000s. I, I think that it has changed since then. The uh, Man of Steel, that the DCEU, definitely changed it completely. But when you get to something like Smallville, you get a lot of the same symbols, but they'll jumble them up so that one word instead of, Usually, instead of it being just across left to right, they'll take a word at the, the symbols from from a word and kind of overlay them on each other so that they make a weird, cool symbol. Right, that's which, somewhat separate,
2: which you see in the rankless district often. Uh, if, if right. for instance, the light behind the bar that looks like just kind of a, I noticed that it's beer. Oh, okay, and that's cool. It's it's kind of hard. If you don't know what the letters are and you're not able to just kind of go, oh, there's only four of them, so I can figure this out. But if you're trying to read it like left to right, I believe that it goes clockwise so that from, you know, the, say, 9 o'clock position, it's B, E, and then E on the bottom right and R on the bottom left. So it's not even all left to right writing and reading, so it's not entirely intuitive. Uh, right but uh, again this is another thing that separates it from
0: uh the DCEU right and and from pretty much anything else as well, because th- this clearly does take place in its own universe. It's not directly connected to Smallville or Supergirl or anything like
2: that. Right, although this is very similar to the, Krypton- the Kryptonian, excuse me, they do not call it Kryptonese on Supergirl. Uh, this is very similar to the Kryptonian writing on Supergirl. It's not exactly the same, yeah. but it's very, very similar. Uh, well, then, yeah. and I liked
1: the idea that in Man of Steel they took the time to, to come up with a more complex, organ- organic might not be the right word, organic in the sense of curvy and natural shapes more than mm-hmm. anything else. Um, yeah, and they have that, that culture and that language and that look to things there. Whereas here, we're on a TV show, we're seeing things weekly, using something that's more familiar, even if we're using it in new ways, it's seems like It's also a lot has... easier. Yeah.
0: Because it's just taking the English language and replacing one letter with, with a different symbol. You can download it as a
2: font. Right.
0: And on, on Microsoft Word or whatever word processor you, you use. And it's it's also –
2: it, that makes it also practical because it means that any new element you need to be created, you don't need to consult a linguist to do it.
0: And there's all sorts of – you did need a linguist for Man of Steel. On Krypton, there were writing on the walls and all, sort sort of all over the place on Krypton, and it was also on um, the Baby kal ship, which I – you you can't really even see it in the movie, but it's all there yeah. because I, I was on the set in the barn and was able to touch the thing, and I could see all the symbols and knew this is not the standard Kryptonese that I know.
2: Right. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll if I I'll try to remember to link in the show notes that I I, I asked Megan over at Comic Book to do a. Uh, a translation of what we could see on the photos of the robe that I took and also on the prayer leaves, which are the gold things that dangle from the ceiling in the voice of Rao's chambers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all of them are inscribed with uh, very, again, very kind of general prayers. I know that when I was there, they were still hanging some of the prayer leaves. And so there was like one entire uh, trolley and they were all, they all just had the exact same prayer on them. Uh, that's, okay. that's not true of all of them everywhere, but I imagine that they had, you know, five trolleys and that the 60 prayer leaves, there's only like five, twelve, you know, there are five different, uh, prayers and there's twelve leaves each or something. But, uh, so uh, you'll, you'll be able to see some of the translation, whatever we can get done on time, uh, and I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes. Gotcha.
0: Now, one thing that confused me was how Rao was able to control
2: the sunlight. Essentially because they live in this dome, which we've seen the dome right. in ex- exterior shots before. Uh, and we've seen it outside the dome, too. Correct, yeah. And that's really just what it boils down to, as far as I can tell, is that the, the dome seems to have either a shade or a cover or something that he can manually control.
0: But what's confusing about that is that when you are outside the dome, there is no sunlight.
1: There may be different times of day, though.
0: Well, th- then they're always outside the dome at night. They've never been outside the dome during daylight.
2: I That's mean, true. Maybe it's maybe it's going kind of the opposite of what appears to be intuitive. Then, and maybe the dome itself is. Uh, which would actually kind of make sense when you think about the the nature of raoism is is that mm-hmm. if on this on this world that appears to be blasted by ice you have you know the ability to kind of construct the the light of the sun god uh, so,
1: so instead of revealing sunlight he was putting up a a dome of artificial sunlight that's
2: very possible that's not how i had initially interpreted it but jeffrey does raise a very good point and so it's very possible yeah
0: and it, it it also occurred to me when it did happen it also occurred to me that wouldn't the light be a little bit redder but at the same time i'm pretty sure that even with a with a red star that it's bright enough that it's not going to actually make the light red. It'll still come out being essentially like a white light. Right. The, the way that we think of our star as being ye- yellow, but it's really, we get white light from it. It could also be how it, it you know, reacts with the uh, entering the atmosphere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think even though we call our star a yellow star, we it's it's not really that yellow. from The, the blue, ma- the, the sky and refraction everything makes it look more yellow than it actually is. mm mm-hmm. Um, well, I like the idea. Now, now that you said that, Jeffrey, I like the idea of him putting the sunlight up there because he's starting this festival. He's starting this sun-oriented festival. And am I remembering correctly, this is not the customary time. He's actually doing it ahead of time.
2: Correct. He basically and- sees the writing on the wall that things are getting very unstable in the city. And he feels that this, this essentially giant party will help to bring people together. Essentially, it, it would be as if Uh, somebody were to just make an executive decision. Oh, hey, guys, hey, it's Christmas next week because you're all acting like jerks and I want to make sure you don't revolt. So presents for everyone. Actually, because we we spent a bunch of time talking about the linguists, or the linguistics, excuse me, Uh, why don't we shift gears a little? John, I know, wanted to talk about the kind of, not necessarily the politics of Krypton, although that too, but the fact that once again, there's a lot of kind of pretty clear political allegory going on. Even if it's not quite as didactic as last week with the police brutality stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have, we have a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in this show that is parallel to, or at least certainly resembles aspects of our own culture, which I think is where science fiction has its strengths. But you have we've tried to put down this supposed terrorist group and release just a bunch of people in a bad neighborhood that didn't go well. So we're going to use religion to satiate everybody. And in the meantime, we've got this whole like tribunal, this kangaroo court with Lida. They're stringing her up as a, as a scapegoat. There's just, there's just so much going on here that feels like it's, an emblematic case of how things can go wrongly in our own culture. Um, she tried to do the right thing as an officer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and now she's being accused of treason. And it's just, I don't know, what are some of your thoughts on how all that's playing out?
0: Well, the the picking a scapegoat, that makes absolute sense. Uh, uh, when you take a look at something like what we've dealt with he- here on, on earth take take for example Osama bin Laden who is a who was a figurehead sort of the the leader of, of al qaeda may or may not have been have had any sort of direct involvement with nine nine eleven but because of nine eleven he had to be the face and the figurehead and that was the reason why he had to be found and killed as opposed to found and arrested
2: well i do think that what what John is kind of getting at and what I think is more interesting and, and that's not to say that you're wrong in any way, but I do think what's more interesting to me, at least, is the way that it reflects in kind of the way that we deal with a lot of domestic issues uh in, mm-hmm. in the United States, in the sense that uh you know, we have a president, for instance, who likes to trot out racially loaded but not specifically racist terminology saying things like, you know, thugs to refer to uh, specifically young African-American criminals and things like that. And so I think that it's, it's definitely interesting to watch kind of Krypton go in similar directions in terms of the rankless are presumed guilty by virtue of kind of where they exist in society. And so you can easily kind of point to somebody like Lida and say, well she's not with us, capital U, she's with them, capital T and the the people in positions of authority will essentially roll with it because you know, better them than me
1: And the fact that the other officer, the one who actually was um in the wrong she's lying about her testimony, but she has people supporting her. She has people in the right places working with her. And and it it, it, it is literally one woman's word against another's, but because we can spin this to, to, to promote the usual narrative, we're going, you know, it's going to end up with the person in the right being cast as the traitor, whereas the person who's in the wrong, we're going to uphold her lies.
2: Right, exactly. And that's, I think, I mean, again, that, that, is extremely common in cases of police corruption because you, I mean, even if you just look at things that, that seem harmless in our society, you know, you, any cop show you watch, it's always, well, how can we get around these, these rules that are hamstringing us from doing the right thing? And it's like, well, that, that's the constitution. Cops who get around those in creative ways are not really good for society. Uh, but that's the narrative that we're often presented is that, you know, these, these rules aren't really there to protect the innocent. They're there just to make things harder for blah, 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 blah. And so oftentimes with police corruption cases, it becomes a matter of, well, you know that she was right anyway. So here's the narrative that makes her right. And let's roll with it.
1: How do you think, um... And you may already know this, mm-hmm. uh, Russell, but Jeffrey, how do you see the whole thing with LIDA going forward?
0: Well, it, it's interesting because we know what happens to uh, traders who were found guilty. We had that happen with Val, L. So, so it's. It's not going to be good, whatever happens. I was beginning to wonder if Seg was going to try to find a way to take her place, which may still happen. Um, but I don't. He's not going to end up being, being executed either. Um, this is a society that needs to have a phantom zone as opposed to execution. But I'm not sure what's going to happen with her. I know that she's got to stick around to have a kid named Druzod,
1: <laughs> right?
0: So I mean, there are certain things like that. I wonder if somebody else, maybe uh, Dev DevM, is going to step up and say that it was all his doing instead. But also with with, with the fact that Rao is now now. Gone. I mean he's not necessarily gone, but he's going to be very, very different that things could change. Because Brainiac's going to try and bring about as much instability as possible, and maybe that would that could begin with pardoning Lyda.
2: I think one of the things that's really interesting, kind of looking at the situation that that everybody finds themselves in here is we don't really get a sense for how the kind of the justice system works. Cause every, everybody we've seen so far has just kind of been killed and it seems
1: to be a very, um, unilateral justice
2: system, right? Which I, I obviously I kind of joked about that in previous episodes with my constantly joking about how like this, is, this is a world that will kill you for like literally anything. And our characters constantly seem to be pushing the envelope. Uh, but I, I, will say that Vex and Nissa Vex and Lida all kind of make references to their being like some kind of actual system of justice. Like there's that, the, the, when she arrested, uh, car, I, I can't remember the, the name of the, the Sagittara she arrested, but when she arrested him, she made a reference to how, well, you'll be able to defend yourself unlike the person you killed. And so I, I think that, what would be interesting there is, is there a version of this where she can defend herself without it being heresy because she, her arrest was dictated by the voice of Rao? So it's almost like you're saying God is wrong if you even try to defend yourself.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and uh, Val did sort of take a moment to defend himself, but also that appeared more to be... The sentencing than necessarily the the trial yeah so it's hard so it's hard to say for sure exactly what that's going to end up looking like. As far as I can tell, there don't appear to be like a lawyers guild.
2: Yeah, so no, you there's... literally
0: de- de- defend yourself based on whatever the the laws are, and as we know. Those of us living, at least in the, in the United States, law is very, very complicated, and if you're going if you get into any kind of serious trouble, you really should get a lawyer, somebody who knows the law.
1: Yeah. And the whole idea of this so so we take this storyline back to where it started, the the voice of Rao instigated this raid. Mm-hmm. Instigated this raid because of fear of terrorism. the fear of the terrorism in the Wrangless area was inspired because the elves confessed to it. They were lying. so this entire thing has been built upon the basis of a lie. So God is very much wrong. I mean and now now that God is wrong, he has to cover up. By a tra- ex- executing as traitor the one person who knows that he's wrong and B making a religious festival out of it so no one else thinks about it.
2: I, I will say that while you're you're like largely correct there there was still the terrorist who actually made an attempt on his life which is how Seg got gilded and that's nominally it's funny because everybody else talks about the L's as like, well, you know, we know that there's that there's terrorists in in Sector 19 because the L's confessed to it. The voice of Rao really seems to be mostly preoccupied with the attempt that was made on his life.
1: Okay, yes, there was that. And that was more immediate because the thing...
2: Yeah. And that, that that's the one minor... Cra- like, I think you're right in terms of the, the larger story because only the voice of Rao is really talking about that one mad bomber. And... Everybody else is talking about the the L's and that sector's potential connection to Black Zero. It's almost like because the L's used to be a uh, a gilded, respected house, that they kind of became the the boogeyman. Like almost, you could see in in our our world, them becoming the story because it's like the O.J. Simpson thing.
1: Well it goes back to the the example that Jeffrey that you were saying earlier is that we have we have an Osama bin Laden here. Mm -hmm. Regardless of who else ever, whoever else is actually doing things, we have this name and this face that we can pin it on. Mm -hmm. And we can say this is the person who's behind it all. And so it becomes easier to construct a narrative around those people. Um but I think that even the voice of Rao, he is concerned about the, 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 the attempt on his life. But do you think that he is actually linking that to the elves? That's all one thing together in his mind?
2: I don't know if it is in his mind. I don't know. I don't know if it is in his mind. I certainly think that it is strategically because I believe that he's using the subsequent events in order to motivate people to, uh, you know, to spur people into action. Uh, but it's really hard to say because, of course, the voice of Rao doesn't actually speak very much. Uh, and I wonder, now that we know who the actor is and now that they aren't protecting that kind of secret narratively, it makes me wonder whether we'll start to see a more kind of vocal voice of Rao. And I almost wonder if part of the reason that we've seen him so... Sp- uh, s- not seen him sparingly, but heard him sparingly, is simply that they didn't want everybody to know by the end of the pilot who he was and what he sounded like.
0: That the voice it's,
2: of Rao would become Brainiac. Right.
1: Right. Is so, one of those things where you meet the mysterious person and for three issues of the comic, the mysterious person is always wearing a hood, and then as soon as they take off the hood at the end of issue three, you never see them wearing the hood again, even though theoretically that's how they were always walking around. Exactly. N- now that we've seen the voice of Rao, now that we've heard his voice, he's suddenly going to become much more facial and vocal than he was before.
0: It's kind of like when Mysterion turned out to be Kenny.
2: I I, I don't know that one. Oh. South, South Park? No, I've, I don't watch it. I I, uh, I guessed that's the Kenny you were talking about, but then my uh, <laughs> my my brain immediately shifted to Kenny Braverman. And so I...
0: there's this superhero in one character. His name is Mysterion, and nobody knows who he is or anything like that. At the end of the episode, he reveals himself by taking off his hood. But the funny thing about that is that when you just see the faces of any of the characters on South Park, right, especially the kids, they just look like anybody else. So you can't even tell who it actually is, but when they bring him back a couple of seasons later with Mysterion, turns out the Mysterion is Kenny. Mm.
1: I, I used to watch South Park, and I want to watch more of it. I, I did see the one where Kenny dies. Um,
0: that was like in season six. They're up to season eighteen. Mm-hmm.
1: The joke is that he dies every episode.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, they, they they actually killed him.
1: That's true. So, so You're right, that,
0: that's Rachel. what I thought you were talking about. Um, but that's what I thought yeah, he was they, talking they, about, too. But I chose to take
2: it as a joke anyway.
0: Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> I I take everything John says literally.
1: I, I take my entire life as a joke. So gotcha. <laughs> Anyways, so um,
0: <laughs> you know what we need here on Earth are those little discs that you can throw at somebody's head and they're just immediately unconscious. Oh, that's true. We need those for law enforcement so that they don't use their guns so much anymore.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because we didn't see law enforcement using them. Only the terrorists. Yeah, just the terrorists. But you know the the fact that they exist. Yeah. Do
1: y'all think that the political aspects of the show, and I guess they're political aspects. They, I mean, they're, they're storyline elements, but they feel relevant to our certain our our current lives. So I guess that makes them political. Well, right. I certainly. Um, do you think that, that's going to be a turnoff for certain branches of viewerdom?
2: I don't know. I mean, no. I don't, I don't think it will be a turn-off in the sense that they would be less likely to watch. I'm sure it will be a turn-off in the sense that they'll bitch about it. Uh, but I don't think that it's a, a prominent enough part of the narrative that it would kind of discourage viewership. I, I will say that it's it's definitely evident that, yes, like we're not reading too much into this. Last week after the episode aired... Uh, I wrote an article talking about the kind of Black Lives Matter implications of the episode and the showrunner quote tweeted my article and congratulated the writer essentially for getting her point across. Um so clearly this these you know these aren't things that we're over examining these are things that are baked into the scripts. Yeah,
0: it's it's one of those things I remember in uh 2005 when Star Wars Episode 3 came out, there was a big thing it was on Fox News, I believe that was trying to claim that George Lucas had a uh, beef with George W. Bush and that he was trying to claim that uh, he was going to try and make himself president for life and so that's what the story of uh, Star Wars Episode oh, yeah. 1 through 3 w- was really about with the Chancellor making himself uh, Emperor for for life
2: <laughs> when, in reality, well, it was, all it was, it was about it was, was you know the yeah. fact that
0: it, 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 that number one, it had nothing to do with that Number two, I never bought into that no. idea that George W. Bush was going to try and make himself president for life. I never saw anything that led me to believe that that's something that he was trying to do i I could see Dick Cheney trying to run and maybe try to do it, but who knows <laughs> um, and uh i and it did not hurt viewership in any in any way that I can think of. No. And it's especially weird to me that Fox News would say something like that for a Fox movie. But what yeah, are you going to do? Fair point. There's no way that George Lucas had that in mind when he wrote the script. No. There's no way.
2: No, I mean, I honestly, I always, I remember that controversy and I literally just remember telling people, like, don't you think that the more likely thing is that since this movie takes place 30 years prior to the previous one or whatever the heck it is, you have to bake Perfect that experience. in, like <laughs> yeah. you, can't... you
1: have to have Palpatine take over the universe. Well, has to well, not only that, but you have to give him a long enough from term. One.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. The, the setup for it uh, that became Episode One that came out in 1999, mm. and that's before Bush was elected; Clinton was still president. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, was... it was all setting something up that it had nothing to do with any commentary about what was actually happening in, in uh, on on. In the United States, at least, mm-hmm. um, it may have been showing something that could potentially happen, but it wasn't saying here's something that's that's happening.
2: Yeah, there is a big difference between saying here are the di- here are the dangers of dictators and saying like oh this one specific guy is going to be a dictator. Uh, right. <laughs> I do think that obviously, I mean, obviously that's that's what Krypton's doing. There's very little in here that would be inherently Trumpian. Uh, it would be wildly out of place for the most part, uh, but. Certainly, there are elements of it that reflect issues in contemporary American culture, and and because of the the nature of our uh, of our kind of very divided country at this point, I do think you will see people who see that and complain. I mean, hell, there were people who watched uh, Powerless, the the DC Comics sitcom that came out on NBC. I they,
0: loved that show and
2: bitched about the fact that Lex Luthor was the president because clearly that was an anti-Trump whatever. Uh, no. And and yeah, in the that, comics, Lex Lutz became
0: president instead of George W. Bush. Yeah, and it was already planned before the election. It wasn't about because every every president up until then had been the actual president,
2: right? And but in any event, so yeah, to answer your your kind of broader question, John, I do think there will be people who take umbrage, but I don't think that that will impact uh, viewership in any significant way.
1: Well, it's nice to know because I, I would like. I mean, I would like the the viewing numbers to continue to be high on this series. Yeah. I would like, once they spin their tale for this year, that they get a chance to tell another tale next year.
2: Yeah, um, I again. I haven't seen any of the numbers actually? I, I I didn't pay attention last week. I know that they held up really well from week one to week two, uh, but I'll 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 try to remember to look that up for next week because obviously it was a point of conversation in the first two weeks of the of the podcast. But I will say that. Uh, Again, having done an interview with one of the cast members today, he kind of offhandedly made a reference to season two. And I don't think that that was him saying, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. But I think that the general attitude among the cast is that the show's working. We're going to get a second season. Uh, so that, that to me is a positive thing. Because obviously, while this, the cast can be and often are wrong in those situations, I do find that most of the time they have a pretty good sense for the temperature in the room.
1: Difference between hoping for a second season and thinking about some ideas versus planning on a second season unless something goes wrong.
2: Right, exactly. And
0: who knows? They they could still – the way that they appear now to be doing Brainiac for what I assume is this season, Mm -hmm. they could still have Brainiac next season.
2: Right. I mean certainly the fact that – Let's say, for the sake of argument, that he never physically comes down in the way we had kind of previously expected, and that the only version of Brainiac that we get is essentially the voice of Rao Sentry. Then, right. you know, they could resolve the threat of this season without actually getting rid of Brainiac. Uh,
1: but letting the bad guy get away is against the comics code authority. I don't know if we can allow that. It's
2: very true. Uh, which you know when I uh, when Black Lightning premiered, I interviewed Tony Isabella, and he had one of those CBLDF Comics Code lapel pins, which I was quite tickled by. I have the T-shirt. Yeah, I used which, to, and I, I, then I got fat. I, I
0: wore to I think both times that I went to the Warner Brothers lot to interview for interview people for both Men of Steel and Batman vs Superman. Nice.
1: Just so I can know, you said that Tony Isabella tickled you with his lapel pin.
2: Well, you know. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see where, where they kind of leave things. And, and I do agree, Jeff. I think that it, it, this episode fundamentally changes Brainiac in the sense that now that we see this is a person who has, like, the version of Brainiac that we've seen, the Blake Ritson Brainiac, is a century. Which means that pretty much anything can happen with the one who's floating around out there in the skull ship. Yep. Uh, what did you guys? Uh, what did you guys make of the Outlands sequence?
0: Do you mean when when he's uh, when Seg is being held prisoner,
2: or after yes. he escapes? Well, that whole kind of sequence of events. But I was just. Curious as to what you make of kind of this group of not black zero black zero guys, and uh... it's confusing about whether they are black zero or they're just
0: saying no, we're not black zero. But yeah, yeah, we're we're black zero basically. You're you're what you
2: we are what you call black zero. We don't call ourselves that. Uh, I th- I mean the one thing that he I th- I think that he says uh, essentially. Well, they're useful idiots, like that. He's right. You know. Okay, so so yeah, he's he's using them, and
0: and he's got bugs from Star Trek 2.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that
2: scene! Oh, I know. Lily, Lily was screaming. She was like, "Nope,
1: nope, nope, make it stop!"
2: <laughs> uh. I I kind of um, loved the fact, like that that was quick thinking, kind of using that to escape. Uh, Yeah, although I'm still confused about what it is that he stepped on that
0: originally knocked the woman over.
2: I don't – I don't recall. Uh, Like, let's just leave weapons on the floor when we have a prisoner here. Oh, I think that weapon – I think that weapon fell because the guy had snapped the other dude's neck.
0: Yeah, and let's just not pick it up, I guess. Um when, when they first show Seg Restrained, they have his head tied down, and I saw the head bend. But before I realized what
2: it, what it was there, I was thinking, oh, Silver Age reference. But yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, not the case. They're just going to start calling him Mr. Oz. But... Well, uh, it's better than Doctor Strange. That's true. I did like that. I did like that. I mean, I that, did
0: was, that was funny. Although it doesn't really make a lot of sense because I don't remember Adam
2: Strange being a doctor, but I could be mistaken. No, and he did reference having dropped out. I think that I think that yeah. in story we're supposed to assume he's actually making a Doctor Strange joke. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Although, although if he if he's not lying about inventing the Zeta Beam himself, then maybe he does have a doctorate yeah. in some sort of something.
2: Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he dropped out of archaeology school, but not whatever he did next. Uh, again, I'm I'm interested to find out what his deal is because i really think that we're, that there's going to be more to him than what's being presented
1: at this point he feels like he's just kind of floating around like he's not really he's, he's very tangential to the story at this
2: point
0: mm-hmm. i yeah they just need to keep reminding us that he's there because they don't really have anything for him to do this episode
2: i almost kind of wonder if he's going to be a major player in either a the finale or b the plans for season two like i could i'd like to see them i'd like to see them suit up if they can manage it yeah i got the impression from an interview he did that that's not happening this season but that they've talked about it and i i don't know if that means that they talked about it and then rejected it or if they talked about it as a future seasons thing or what uh and of course i could be misremembering it because he did not say that to me and he did not say that directly I, okay. But that was the implication I got was that essentially, hey, this is year one Adam Strange Guys, hang tight, we got plans.
1: Mm-hmm. Story-wise, he would need somewhere to fly before he put on a flight suit.
2: Yeah. Uh, although I, I do kind of feel like he's the kind of character who would just be flying as its own, is an end in and of itself. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, the, that whole that whole area and uh, – the Outlands is such a cool kind of different place. Like look – it looks kind of the same as the Rankless District, but uh, to me it looks like obviously this was a place where there was a lot of investment at some point and it's crumbled as opposed to just being the poor side of town.
1: Yeah, because um, you do have the feeling, like, a lot of the places we've seen so far, they're just run down because they've always been run down, whereas yeah. this felt like it's recently fallen. Yeah,
2: it kind of feels like, I mean, the, the feeling of the whole place that they're in reminds me of Fort Roz, where the Zods and all of them are constantly planning their next move. Uh, it architect- Architecturally, it looks really similar, so it almost kind of makes me wonder if... Prior to whatever happened, that all the cities are now in domes. If this was a major part of like Candor City that didn't get saved or something,
1: I would like some more narration on just how and why we got to a point where this planet is so inhospitable. I mean, it doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't really make a lot of sense biologically, you know, historically or anything for we to have this. They're cities, and I, I wonder life is if not involved in a kind
0: in a war at some point a long time ago, and the planet is still sort of recovering from it.
2: It's very possible. I, I mean, recently having reread the Burn World of Krypton, I feel like the, this is kind of the version of the world that we see at the beginning of number two, where all of the plant life has been shredded by constant war. Uh, I, that could just be me kind of Im- Imprinting on the world. But uh
0: but they haven't explained any of it yet, which I, at this point I'm not positive that there's a need to this season. Because I don't think that we're going to be getting outside of Candor. And if we're not going to go outside of Candor and either see other cities or have some kind of interaction with other cities, we really don't need to deal too much with the planetary stuff. We're pretty much just dealing with Candor. Mm hmm. So, I mean, it, it it depends where they go. But if they're not going to leave Candor this season, then it may be something to explain later on.
2: One?
1: Yeah, and it doesn't really need to be, like, a huge extended sequence. Just, like, you know, occasional occasional bits of here and there.
2: To, to Adam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the kind of thing um, I could see them doing relatively quickly, and like, in terms of story economy, pretty easily.
0: That's one of those things I'd really prefer that they show and not just tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But they could do both. In in season one, they could always give a a five-word answer to Adam that gives you a very broad strokes approach. And then you could flash back to it at some point later when it's more relevant to the current story.
1: Mm -hmm. And in my own headcanon for this show, I feel like the onset of the Rao religion, or at least its rise to prominence is a relatively recent thing. Are y'all still feeling that?
2: It definitely feels that way. And again, I, I I kind of feel like there's almost a... a bond between this... Like, when you look at him literally bringing the sun up on the city, I kind of feel like this is one of those things where it, it reinforces the thing that I thought early on about how Kandor may be more raoist than other places, because it's kind of like... Look, see, I'm protecting you. That sense. You know. Yeah.
1: So we have a more of a city-state kind of religion thing going on here,
2: right? Uh, and in fact, this is these are referred to uh, uh, internally when you talk to the producers and stuff as city-states. It's not just the city; uh, they all kind of operate independently, and they do communicate. But as we've heard in the dialogue, they don't all get along.
1: So. They- that being said it might be that the rise of the raw religion and the kind of you know shit state of affairs living in candor might be interconnected in some ways somewhat one of them being somewhat causal to the other one
2: mm-hmm.
1: or or maybe just maybe just correlative um, right. um but yeah i would like to see more of that uh,
2: i will say the the notion here that he would be willing to sell out rome in exchange for trying to protect uh lyda feels very much like those stories that every writer feels compelled to tell about clark having to decide between lois and the city
0: right but since rome is now
2: dead right although he didn't know that when he was using that as a bargaining chip right but i do think i mean it it's it's to me and again like part of that might just be me reading into this but every time i say like oh i'm reading a lot into this and then i i tweet about it the i get you know responses from people that are basically <laughs> like hey good on you and so i i feel like i might as well just mention them on the podcast so that it's like if it crosses my mind and i think it's plausible i'll mention it here so that it's not just like uh something i tweet later uh um, fair enough and, and you've already seen one more episode, right? I have yes, although the next episode uh it it wraps up a couple of of things that are introduced here, but it it focuses a lot of attention on essentially two specific characters, and so there's a lot of these questions that we're asking, and I don't actually know the answer to them. Uh, just because I've seen one more episode. Uh, and in fact, you'll, you'll see me kind of shying away from certain topics if I do know the answer. Uh, just because I don't want to, uh, you know, like John, John had brought up in the first episode of this that on our Riverdale podcast, we saw like the first, I think six before it ever aired. And so occasionally we would, we would say things that were too leading. And some of the people, both John and some of the people on Reddit were complaining that we were spoiling stuff. Ah. And so I'm trying to be much more aware of that. Uh, I did make in my synopsis. I think I made one statement that I was like, oops, yeah, that's next episode. And you guys didn't comment on it yet. So I'm just going to try to delete it when I edit. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that I I
0: was preoccupied with my dog barking right before I had to take him out. So I wasn't entirely listening to the synopsis. So, So there we
1: are. So we might not see a whole lot of move in the in the macro plot next episode.
2: There are some big moves in the macro plot, but they all revolve around the same couple of characters.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
2: And, and I mean it's it's not hard I, to guess that one of them is going to be one of the zods considering the title is House of Zod. I'm hoping the other is Nissa. Nissa Nissa is a is a big player next week. I will say she that is my without, favorite without spoiling anything right. as to how, yeah. she is a big player next week.
0: She is my favorite character mm-hmm. on the show right now.
2: I really love her, and I
0: I, I I i don't know where she's going or or what she's doing or which side she's really on. Mm-hmm.
2: You get uh, a very definitive statement. I will say, okay. not. I, I don't. I don't believe that it's the end of this conversation. But I will say, you get a very definitive statement about where the Vexes stand in the first like three minutes of next week's episode okay and so you will at a bare minimum I don't believe for a minute that it's as simple as they present it to be but you you will have a sense of like oh at least this is what they want me to believe uh, essentially in the first act of next week's show so okay and that's something I feel like I can kind of tease because it doesn't spoil anything because I'm not gonna tell you yeah. what that direction is <laughs> does
0: she wear the gold dress
2: I don't think so i think she's
0: she's okay. uh is it a gold I, I dress did, or a blue really... and black dress <laughs>
2: it, uh well this, this particular one,
0: well seg seemed to think it was gold so i'm willing to go with that <laughs> um now th- there was a, a sequence there where she was looking at holograms of herself wearing the two different dresses to decide yeah. which one she thought looked, looked better i thought that was cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. however the black one looked a lot cooler than the gold one in my opinion
2: uh I, I thought it was cool. I also thought it was kind of cool because when I was on set, they were shooting parts of last episode and parts of this episode. Those two dresses were like on mannequins next to the table where we did a bunch of our interviews. And so, uh, I, I just, I, when I, as soon as I saw the two of them standing side by side, I was like, Oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I had that's no idea. Good. I idea. That's how they were going to be in the show too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and and so I, I thought that was a neat thing. I do like – it's funny because I feel like we are meant to kind of understand that Krypton has this incredibly advanced technology, but we don't really see a lot of it. And so I, I, I like it when you get kind of the day-to-day stuff where it, it kind of – seeing that implies that there's all of this kind of infrastructure underpinning what she's doing there that we don't have in our world
0: yeah well you do have the, the hologram with the sort of memories and everything of Val Val l right and the computer stuff that they work on which could easily be Tony Stark
2: yeah yeah uh, trying to think if there's any other kind of major plot beats that uh, that we haven't talked about yet kind of running in my head down the the characters who
1: uh, I really we haven't really, we, we haven't really talked about Lida a whole lot and the the with her and her mom mm-hmm. but they both gave solid performances no, and her mother her mother started to show a little bit of the soft center yeah. that is beneath her you know and, and it's just gooey center I don't think it's very big though I think it's pretty small <laughs> Soft gooey yeah. center <laughs> <laughs> I think it's mostly hard shell You know my dad talks about how When you're eating the different kinds Of um, uh, of Let's say m ms mm-hmm. You know there's that Candy shell to chocolate ratio
2: Yeah
1: And different kinds of m ms get that right And say, get it wrong It's like the different kind of Reese's peanut butter cups That chocolate to peanut butter ratio And so she has a very large Outer hard candy shell to gooey center ratio mm-hmm. well that's why um, she melts in your mouth and not in your hand <laughs> but you know the conflict with her and Lida I just you know I, f- I can feel their years of tension mm-hmm. whenever they interact I can feel that th- the mom When I always forget the mom's name what's the mom's Jaina. name Jaina Jaina. Yeah. Jaina has been trying to raise her daughter in a military environment, and I feel like when they went home at the end of the day, the military didn't stop. Right. She went home and instead of cooking dinner and laughing about the latest episode of you know Housewives of Krypton County, um, they're still in military mode, mm-hmm. and that's how Lida has grown up. And that that's a, that, was a, that was a huge misstep on Jana's part, and maybe she started to realize that in this episode
0: i'm liking the performance of the actress who plays jaina more and more as as these episodes go on
2: yeah her quiet she has kind of that that quiet desperation and in the early episodes where she was the strongest person in the city sometimes that felt a little out of place you're like where is this coming from yeah, the, exactly. the more they kind of peel back and we see who she really is, the more her performance is obviously extremely well considered.
1: She's not she's not a flat character, even though she sometimes hits a similar note a lot of the time. Right. It's it's not a flat performance.
2: Also, she's the only person on this show who to have also been an Amazon.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah, she was a... Uh, uh, now, now that you mention it, I swear I could remember. Yeah, her she. Face. I, I I can't remember what her name was. Uh, Philippa or Philippus. Uh, oh, okay. In in the Wonder Woman movie, uh, which is one of the things that I pointed to when when people were asking me, "Is this in the DCEU? And I was like, "I don't know." Is did Philippus somehow manage to get to Krypton? <laughs> well,
0: I mean, in in the same way, I mean, Alfred Woodard has played two characters in the MCU.
2: That's true. That's true. Uh, and she was she was uh, she's such a great actor, and I feel like both yeah. of those parts were just not anything. Anyway, well, she, did, <laughs> she she did she did okay in in Luke Cage. No, I I, I, I thought she, it was definitely she much fine. it was definitely much more interesting than yeah. Than but, it, in Civil but in but in Civil War, but... it was
0: just like a blink blink and you miss it almost like cameo appearance with a few lines, and and you know they, they were they were heartfelt talking about her right. son dying, but. It, very, very small role. She could have played something more, and you you could have gotten a different actor to do that. doesn't really need to be her, whereas in Luke Cage, I thought that she lent so
2: much to that role. Uh, Another funny thing is that when you use the example of Alfre Woodard, one of my favorite Alfre Woodard movies is this Lawrence Kasdan movie called Mumford uh, that she appeared in with uh, Jason Lee. And of course Jason Lee has played numerous characters in kevin smith's interconnected universe there's there there was a line in this episode that i wanted to see if you guys were gonna have a lot of comments on and i'm surprised that it hasn't come up but i am not going to mention it because uh it's it's like a teaser line uh so i'll it'll be interesting that sounds like
1: an off microphone conversation right there
2: but, uh, the, it, it's, to me, it was just one of those, it was one of those things where there's, there's a, a particular line in this, this episode where I was like, oh man, people are going to talk about that. And because you guys weren't talking about it, I'm like, wow, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like just imprinting on people. And I'm thinking that like they're g- giving people way too much credit for being paranoid. Uh, but that, that's me. Like every time I watch something like this, I'm con- like, I mean, you've heard it with the, 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 for the man who has everything and all the, it's like I'm constantly just like, wait, was that supposed to be this? Wait, is that mean you know? Uh and that serves me well in my day job because the sort of people who comment on my stories, like that's their their mindset. Alright everybody, seems like we've uh, we've come to that point. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Uh Jeffrey, let's start with you. Uh the biggest place you can find me is
0: on the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast podcast yeah I did just say it that way, didn't I? Uh, that can be found all over the place, your favorite podcatcher, podcast your iTunes, but also the fortress of which is run by Michael Bailey, who was on on this for the first episode with us, and right now that that's that's the biggest one.
2: Michael was the pre-crisis addition to our team who had he got retconned out very quickly. Yeah uh, John, how about you?
1: Um, I am on Twitter at John reads comics with no H in John and no H in reads or comics, but I can also soon be heard every Friday on the podcast. Make hours Marvel, which is at make and also on Twitter at make ours, Marvel. There's no H in that either, just in case you like H's. Um, so yeah, uh, please do come by and uh, give a listen, drop a follow, say uh, what you think of the show. And, Um, I I have to go back and forth between universes like every week. So it's a little bit of a strain on the heart, but, uh, my doctor says, as long as I'm continuing to gain weight, I'll be okay.
2: Uh, Just get an arc reactor. It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, And for me, uh, you you can find me on, I mean, pretty much if you're listening to this, you probably know how to find me on social media, ECV underscore comics on Twitter, the ECV underscore podcast on Twitter for the Emerald City Video Podcast and for the Panel Discussions Podcast. I've made those backwards, but you can figure out which is which. Uh, You can also find me and Panel Discussions and Emerald City on Facebook, Facebook, on Instagram, all those kind of wonderful places where you, you find things on the internet. And my day job is working for comicbook.com, so if you go to my Twitter bio at Russ Berlingame, you can find links to my author page at comicbook.com, you can find links to Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast, to the Delicious Flavor podcast where I talk about psych, and all of the other fun stuff that I do. So, yay, I'm spread very thin. <laughs> uh, thank you everybody for listening uh, check back next week we're going to be talking about the House of Zod which uh, as I've intimated and, and probably will cut some of the intimation to, to, to downplay it uh, is a pretty exciting episode and uh, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how everybody reacts to that uh, you should like share rate subscribe uh, write a letter it, to your po- mom it's,
1: it's, like, it's possible that the um, that the solicits for that episode called it the horse of Zod to so make sure you are the house
2: of Zod <laughs> right? yeah so check back next week it's going to be a fun episode and uh, like I said like rate share subscribe write a letter to your mom you know send a, a birthday card to your favorite niece whatever it is that you do to talk about podcasts these days and uh, we'll be back then
0: the story of your family isn't how we died
2: but how we lived
0: I want to start off with something that I noticed as I (laughs) – sorry, edit that out.